Pulling up to Mickey D's just for drinks? Oh yeah, that's me. Nothing extra, just perfection and a straw. Coming in hot for the coldest cups on the block. Because there are drinks. Then there are drinks from McDonald's. Mix things up with any size lemonade or sweet tea for $1.49. Perfect with our classic fries. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. So our podcast is called Right and Wrong. Are these your notes? These these your notes about what we're going to say? Anything is a short answer. (laughs) So how many novels did you not finish? Oh my God, so many. (laughs) It was perfect. What are you talking about? This is nonsense. Ooh, a spicy question. I love it. (laughs) This is it, guys. The big secret to getting published is you have to write a good book. (laughs) You better hear first. (laughs) Hello and welcome back to The Right and Wrong podcast. On today's episode, I am joined by a debut historical fiction novelist, Lucy Barker. Hi, Lucy. Welcome to the show. Hello. Thank you so much for having me. It's my pleasure. Let's get straight into it. Let's talk about the novel, The Other Side of Mrs. Wood, which not out right now, but will be out by the time this airs. Tell us a bit about it. Um, so as you say, it's um historical fiction and it is about um two warring mediums in um 1873 London. Um and it's about this established medium who is um brilliant at what she does. She's been doing it for a really long time and um has made a really successful career out of it, but she's sensing that people are starting to want more and bright young things is kind of starting to be written about. Um, in the Spiritual Times newspaper. So everyone's a bit like, um, yeah, what's coming up? What's coming up? So she feels a little bit unnerved by this. And then um, when the opportunity to take on a young upcoming medium and train her, um, when that pops up, she leaps at the chance thinking this is her opportunity to stay relevant and to stay in the headlines and um, and maintain her her, um, lifestyle. And not in a way that it is she wants to kind of keep up with the riches and and the wealth of it what she wants is she wants to be able to sustain herself independently Mm. do you know what's so funny is something like um i mean the, the politics of like being a medium in victorian london is not something that i've ever really read about or researched in any way whatsoever but when you explain it and you talk about the plot like that it's such a relevant um, sort of narrative right like we're we're all kind of as you get older you you kind of like oh I I I do this thing but like there's a younger person who's looks like they're going to start doing it better than me and everyone's kind of like going to them and stuff it's so so, like oddly relatable even though it's Mm. a very unique uh kind of moment in time that you've picked and then within that a unique sort of uh, thing with and when you say mediums, it's like seances and, and, yes. and readings and spirit, spiritualism. Yes. Um, but is it, it's historical fiction. It's, it's not, is it fantasy realism or does it, it it's sort of the sort of reality of no, what it was to be a medium? It's very much the reality. Yeah. So it's not, um, I think I'm, I'm quite upfront um, about the, um, the, tricks behind it I suppose um mm-hmm. as much as I can be because 
yeah, probably not surprising. They didn't really write about um, how they managed to con loads of people out of money <laughs> by, <laughs> by conjuring up things. Yeah, um, funny that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, but they, but um, and and also, I really, whilst it's about mediums and about spiritualism, um, I really wanted to use that as more of the backdrop, and I really mm. wanted to. So it's interesting when you say about the relevance today. One of the things that I'm really passionate about is bringing these women who were living in in the Victorian period who not necessarily buck the trend, but you know who on we think of the Victorian woman as a bit of a homogenous lump um, of just, you know, someone who was subservient, who was repressed and, you know, all of those kind of, which is true, but also there were women like, like we're women, you know, and they were, they were trying to forge their way in within a society that didn't necessarily make it easy for them. And that's what I wanted to talk about more about the fact that, you know, how did a woman become a financially independent where there were very limited, um, um, work opportunities, particularly if you're middle class. Um, mm. So the, the story is inspired by a true story. And the mediums that I discovered during my research, you know, there are all these women who are just, you know, they're really successful at what they do and they're really good at what they do. And I just really wanted to celebrate that. So, yes, no, it's not magical. <laughs> <laughs> to conclude, it's really not magical it's social and political <laughs> yeah so what was it about sort of victorian london that that drew you into that oh i love victorian london um i did um an ma in victorian studies at birkbeck college and uh-huh. um just i did a fantastic course in during that ma with jerry white who's such a brilliant historian of london mm-hmm. um I mean, like when you live in London, which I was doing at the time, you know, you, you, history is absolutely everywhere. You can see the, the the steps are worn down by all the people that walked there, you know, over the past hundreds of years. And, and oh, it's just, I'm talking about it in a very romantic way. I, and I'm, <laughs> I, don't I too necessarily... have lived in London. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but yeah, no, when you look for it, there is a, there, there's so much <sighs> sort of history and you, it is easy to romanticise. It's so rich. Um, but I also really love writing about pe- places that I know and that, you know, and I love reading about places yeah, that, yeah. where I recognise street names. Um, so where that's So my book is set in Notting Hill and I used to live down the less salubrious end of Portobello Road so I know it really well (laughs) and also I love maps so I could just spend years just looking at Victorian maps okay (laughs) so Victorian has always been a a Victorian is it specifically Victorian London that you're kind of fascinated in or is it Victorian that kind of era across the UK across Europe across the world really um I find I just find the 19th century really fascinating um you know you have a lot of um, primary resources or sources rather from the 18th century, but 19th century is where it really ramps up. You know, you've got so many firsthand experiences that you can explore. And I don't know, they just feel so close. And, they, and they're and they so like us as well, the Victorians. You know, we haven't really changed a huge amount in terms of what we're, what concerns us as a society. That's true. And th- so within that, you you love the 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 period the era what what was it that then drew you even even sort of to the sort of quite narrow sort of area of mediums and séances within that 
Well, as I say, you know, I've always wanted to write about women, um, yeah. and um, and it seems although there were there were men who were performing as mediums, um, it was a very female dominated thing. Oh, okay. Women were thought to be more spiritual than men, and also it's something that they could do at home in the safe domestic sphere um yeah. where they weren't um where it w- they could remain respectable and it was a way of hanging out with your friends and doing something interesting it was a way of feeling um special and that you had powers um at a time when you didn't necessarily have them so that's what really drew me in and, and um also i'm completely obsessed with um the idea of the other side so that was nice. okay <laughs> I'm slightly obsessive personality. You might find that. Right, yeah, okay. <laughs> so you combined your two obsessions. Yeah, Victorian exactly. times and, and the other side. Exactly. Perfect. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I don't know what I'm going to write next. <laughs> <laughs> so you mentioned that you, you did do an, an MA um, yes. in Victorian studies. And ex- historical fiction as, as a genre obviously always requires um, usually pretty extensive research. Did... Did doing that MA, um, did it sort of give you enough of a view to just kind of start the writing the novel or did you figure out what the novel was about, kind of plan it and then do more research? Um, I, I, I kind of did both. So I had the foundation okay. there and I had done, um, I'd done some bits on spiritualism when I, during my MA, but, um, so I read, around it a lot before I actually started properly writing um just to make sure that I got the feel of it right but in terms of the the real the proper detail research I can I tend to do that as I write you don't really know what you don't know until you get to that point but as I say I'm in a fortunate position because I'm kind of steeped in it Already, because I'm really out there. I don't, I'm so <laughs> steeped in history. <laughs> but you know, but I am because I'm fortunate because I really love that period. So, um, yeah. um, and I've been writing in a, the Victorian period in many failed ways before this. So, <laughs> okay. So, what sort of stuff had you written before this in, in that in that period? Well, I did the Curtis Brown six month novel course back in 2014. And at that time, I was writing a Victorian novel about a woman who accidentally murders her husband, um, Mm. which is great because he's awful. Um, (laughs) (laughs) So I got like, I got to the murder bit, which was probably, I don't know, about five chapters in. And then I didn't know where else to take her after that. And so, yeah, so that book was about 15 different books where she was in the States, right. she was in Wyoming, or she was in Northern England, or she stayed at home, you know, so I wrote loads of different opportunities for her and then, oh, put, okay. then put them all in the bin. And so that was in 2014, you did the Curtis Brown creative course? Yes, yes. What was that like? Oh, it's brilliant. I absolutely loved it. Um, and it's where I met my writing circle, um, mm. who... I've still been, I've just been messaging with them this morning. Yeah, I, I couldn't, I wouldn't be where I was now if it weren't for the people that I met on that course. Okay. Absolutely not. They kept me going. Well, speaking about keeping you going and more, more importantly, singing your praises. And it's, it's very commonplace for, and I'm sure anyone who's um, been in a bookshop recently knows that almost all books have quotes on them from other mm. authors. And I couldn't help but notice that on yours, there are some very, very big names. Uh, Katie Ford, Lucy Diamond, uh, Marion Keys. I know. <laughs> <laughs> are you like, 
when it's when it's in the sort of when you're in the publishing process are you aware of who is getting these early copies like where they're being sent yes yeah i am so um I've basically just been this kind of like wide-eyed blinking what person when all this <laughs> stuff has been happening. I'll be sitting in meetings going, okay. Um, yeah, no, I knew that they were going to go out to, um, they were going to do early bound, which I think are just like ring bound A4 word docs. Mm-hmm. Um, and I knew that they were going to get them off to um, Marianne and they wanted um, other, because the book is, is, written I don't want to say it myself but I will say it it's quite <laughs> it's quite a witty book um and so they wanted others uh, the uh, writers with a similar tone so mm-hmm. um Marianne Keys um Lucy Diamond and Katie Ford were like the first kind of names that kind of came into my editor's head wow but, yeah, I know I know and then when Marianne said yeah I'll read it I was like okay I wasn't really expecting anything because I didn't think that she was really reading Right. Okay. And then, and then I was on Twitter on a Friday night, and um, as you do when you're in your forties, yeah. and um, <laughs> and I realised I had a DM, um, which I never have, and um, and it was from Marianne. Oh my god! <laughs> I know. <laughs> I was, uh, yeah, I was uh, very excited. Um, okay. But she's a, such an incredibly generous author. You know, I feel hugely privileged that she read, and then blurbed my book I mean it's just bonkers Mm. but you know the imposter syndrome is very real because like even though she's blurbed it there's a part of me that thinks yeah she just feels sorry for you babes (laughs) (laughs) oh I was about to say like if there's if there's anything that's gonna help push back against the imposter syndrome it'll be having like very well-established um successful authors like saying no this is really good (laughs) (laughs) no 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 it just just makes it worse (laughs) okay great (laughs) That's how you know you've got real imposter syndrome. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I know. I know. I was like, oh, yeah, no. She just, and like, you know, we, we actually had a bit of back and forth on my DMs. It was just so surreal. And um, she she was like, no, no, really, I loved it. <laughs> <laughs> That's amazing. Because I guess, yeah, from, from your perspective, it was, and it's it's Fourth Estate. Um, right? Yes. I guess from your perspective, they were sort of like, yeah, we're going to send it to these people. And you're like, oh, okay, wow, those are amazing people. Did you put any names forward? um yeah so so we so after that that bound one went out um when the proofs came in which I think were November end of November maybe beginning of December Mm. we um we did a massive list then of all of our wish lists and um and so yeah so so you you did you did contribute to that yes Um, definitely definitely people like Sophie Irwin um yes I saw and there were yeah he was so lovely and again incredible the publishing is is a weird world but the support that you get from other writers is just mm-hmm. you know because you've you've all you all we all know how hard it is and so it's incredible though that being a debut and kind of being welcomed so so magnanimous no I'm not going to say magnanimously because that makes me sound <laughs> like a <laughs> <laughs> I know what but you mean. You know. I had um Katie Ford was on the podcast recently oh, and she's she, oh, she such a such a nice and generous person with her time and like she's had so much success and done so many amazing mm. things in in publishing that it's it's sort of like wow and this person is just so happy to just give back and help support yes. up and coming writers and it, yeah it's great. But I think it's because it is it is tough, you know, it, and it's you, you spend all this time just like writing in this silo and then suddenly other people are reading it and you don't mm-hmm. know if it's any good because yeah. you're so close to it. 
yeah and, and you've poured a lot of yourself not just yourself but like you've poured so much time into this that mm. it's kind of like oh gosh what if I've spent months years doing this thing and everyone's like yeah this is p- pretty bad you know <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah yeah well according to some of the one star reviews I've had <laughs> you know okay okay, okay. <laughs> but you know but, you, but you're right though because you know I'm in my late 40s now um and I've been doing this since I was well I mean I've been writing since forever but you know I have been plugging away mm-hmm. since I was 20 19 19 20 I started writing my first wow. proper book was it always Victorian no, 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 no. That I came later. To, yeah, I never wanted to do historical because <laughs> I thought it just sounded like too much hard work. <laughs> uh, okay, I actually had a similar feeling, but then it, it was after you read a few historical. It was if it was um, Bernard Cornwell. I read a couple of oh, Bernard really? Cornwell's books. And I was like, I, I probably am not going to write historical ever. But after <laughs> reading that, a part of me was like, maybe I should write this. This is awesome. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and actually, you know, you know that there's that that quote um which is like the past is a foreign country they do things differently there mm-hmm. um and i think the way, the way to approach historical is to just think of it that you're just writing about a different place yeah you're always going to have people in cardigans who are going well i don't think that they would have used <laughs> like, a spatula well, technically the belt <laughs> buckles would have been made yeah. of different material <laughs> than that but... <laughs> exactly <laughs> You're always going to have those types. Um, but, you know, as long as you you research the things that matter. Mm-hmm. And it's great, you know, God, who doesn't want to escape to a different world as soon as when they sit down their laptop? Yeah. And the, I mean, the beauty of historical is is that thing of knowing that like, gosh, this this ha- this kind of happened. Uh, it's hor- historical fiction, of course, but mm. there's a party that's like, wow, this is like kind of how it was. And it's weird to think that this really happened, this really existed, which is different from something like sci-fi or fantasy, where yeah. it's sort of speculation. It's like, this could happen. This is like something that someone might do in this situation. Yeah, exactly. And and my book is based on a true story. So, you know, it's inspired by these two mediums, um, Agnes Guppy, which is the best name in the world, and <laughs> um and um Florence Cook. And Florence mm. Cook is known as the first medium in Britain to materialise a full spirit. Oh. Um and she did that in the early eighteen seventies when she was about fifteen. And Agnes Guppy was this long standing, well established medium who became embroiled in this rumour that she was really jealous of of Florence. It's um so you know it, this very human kind of behaviour that's kind yeah. of going on. I feel like that happens so much in well, at least movies tell me that there's always <laughs> a, like a movie that comes out about like a that there'll be a pop star and it'll be the 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 sort of um the legendary sort of has always been famous pop star getting older and then the 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 young new thing coming Mm. on the scene and the rival between those two so it it, like it's one of those as you said it's like it's it's timeless that kind of story of the young upstart and the the sort of old and sort of fading away and and i think that that sense of when you're when you're really experienced, when you, you feel like, you know, you have so much you can share with them, but actually they don't really want that much. What <laughs> they want is leg up. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah, I, yeah. And, you know, and I think that, you know, it, it, the, the vanity and the, 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 the sense of self-importance is really present in both. Um, yes. So uh, yeah, I can't remember why we started talking about it, but <laughs> <laughs> I don't know, medium seances and stuff like that. Let's yeah. go back to, uh, Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. 
But you're the filet fish sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Um, so you, you did the Curtis Brown Creative course. Your a- agent, Lucy Morris, is also at Curtis Brown. Yes. Was that, was that a meeting that came out of the course or did that happen uh, no. separately? That happened separately. Um, so I didn't really write for a couple of years after the course because I had children, um, mm-hmm. as in I had them. I made them in that time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And um, <laughs> rather than just using them as an excuse. Oh, no, yeah. I generally do anyway. Um, and then um, I've been noodling around with that, that other novel and then the and then Curtis Brown announced their first novel award in 2019 and so mm-hmm. my writer friend fran quinn name drop um <laughs> she um she's she was like right you're going to enter that and then she was that it was with fran that i was kind of playing around with different ideas and so i entered it and i came second and lucy offered me representation so that's how i but I, even though i've done the course like i think i was the only one in the shortlist who'd done the course so it wasn't okay, necessarily related right. But it was it, it was a Curtis Brown competition. It was a Curtis Brown competition, twenty nineteen. Okay, and so you then was that with um with, with this book? Yes, the other it side was. Of Mrs. Yeah. Wood. Okay, yeah. right. And then yeah. you would have worked on it for a bit with Lucy, and then presumably gone on on sub to publishers. Yeah, so I worked on it off and on because then lockdown happened, um, mm-hmm. and then I was um, it didn't really write during lockdown because. I have small children who weren't in childcare, which is a a special kind of hell. And um, (laughs) so I couldn't, I couldn't really write for ages. So it took me about a year to do the first draft properly. And then Lucy very discreetly came back and said, well, (laughs) there's there's lots to love. (laughs) (laughs) And then, um, and then I rewrote it um, again and then sub to her in January last year. And then we did loads of edits. I have to say that I am so lucky. Lucy is an incredible agent. She's a brilliant editor. Mm-hmm. And we honed it and honed it and honed it until it went out. Actually, a year ago, I was having my pitch meetings this time last year. Today? No, okay. no, no. My launch day will be a year to the day that I that um, Fourth Estate pitched to me. Oh, great. Okay. So yeah. lots, lots of edits with Lucy. Did, did you then do many more edits with um, your editor at Fourth Estate? No, I was really lucky because oh. Lucy had whipped it into such incredible shape. Mm-hmm. It was so polished. My fur, the notes that came back. So I sold in the UK and in the US. So um, they, my two editors, Millicent and um, Katie, kind of came together and brainstormed the the edits. And then I had one round of edits, and then Katie asked me to undo some of those edits because she think she thought she'd made a wrong decision about changing the direction of something. And then it was just line edits. So I was in a really fortunate position. Yeah, that's great. Lucy mm. really did great job with oh. you before subbing. 
Yeah, she did. She did. And I think, but I think also that it's really difficult when you're editing because you're really close to your work. And also, you you know, you've got all these pages full of darlings that you just don't want to kill off. And I think I'm, I'm not precious anymore about my writing. And it's like, if you don't think that works, fine, it's going, you know? Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Um, I think, yeah, I just listened to other people and that really helped me. I think that's a great skill. And I think it comes with um, time. Like the longer you spend writing, the more you understand that it's okay for me to delete a whole chapter, for me to delete like some thousands of words. That's fine. If it was good, like if it's kind of like the Stephen King thing where I don't fully agree with not taking notes, but Stephen King thinks you should, you shouldn't take notes and and stuff because if, if the idea is good enough, you'll remember it. (laughs) (laughs) Which I don't fully agree with, but the idea of me, whenever I think like, okay, I'm going to delete a few thousand words that like, when I was, you know, when I first started writing, I was like, oh, how can I do that? Like, you know, that's, there's so much time. Like maybe there's something really good in there. And now I think, oh, did it, if there was something really good in there, I will have remembered it and I will, I can easily just type it up again. Mm. Yeah. yeah, I think you're right. And I think, um, yeah, I, I can I just say um, about the Stephen, the Stephen King is... <laughs> I love him. <laughs> that's a man that's not multitasking. <laughs> you know, like, yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's a man who's not yes. thinking. Oh God, have I have I done the kids' PE kit? You know, <laughs> <laughs> have I made them pack lunches? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah oh, oh God, there's no socks. Um, <laughs> sun cream. I need sun cream. Um, I went off tangent. Obs, that was always going to happen. Um, just <laughs> Stephen King always takes me off on a tangent. <laughs> oh, okay, okay. Oh yeah, no, I'm not worried about, um, I, I think you're right. I think you will remember it. And I think, mm-hmm. I mean, I always have a, a, I work first in word and then when it's, I can start to see the shape of it, I put it on to Scrivener because that will kill at least two days of writing time, me just organizing it, which is great. And <laughs> I, I do very similar things. <laughs> what I other things really can I add into Scrivener? <laughs> Colors, put color tabs on. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> and, um, I just have like loads of little scenes that I keep. So, I, I mean, nothing's killed anymore. It's not like, you know, we're in the 19th century where everything was handwritten and you would, yeah, you know, we can just chop and change and put things in. Yeah, exactly. But I think, you know, there, there's a fine line between owning your work and being too precious about it, which, mm-hmm. as, as you say, I think it is, it's really it is learned because also I always remember now always thinking I'm not I'm not the first draft for me the second draft is for everyone else yes yeah 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 I think it's about what because it's a lot of it's about what you want from your writing and if Mm. you are writing something that is going to be purely authentically you and it's just for you then do whatever you want but if you're writing something and your end goal is that I do want this to be published and I do Mm. want this to be you know go out to market that will have to change for publication. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. You know, I, I absolutely love writing ridiculously long sentences without, you know, <laughs> that just ramble on for ages that are full of like funny, quirky words. But, you know, no one wants to read that. <laughs> I mean, there are, I yeah, think I've snuck I mean, a few in. <laughs> every now and again, it's fine. But like, it, it's like when, when you're doing that multiple times on the same page, yeah, bit, which, you know, it's heavy. Yeah. <laughs> it's really heavy. But, you know, yeah. I, it's almost like I just have to vomit all of the really um, ridiculous phrases out and then just go back and just sawdust <laughs> all over and then yeah, yeah yeah 
you have the the first draft where you just do whatever you want and then you come back and you're mm. like okay i've got to be sensible now <laughs> yeah exactly okay, okay. Sensible. be serious big, big girl shoes now come on <laughs> yeah exactly exactly so you've now that you've gone through the publishing machine um and uh, and you've actually sort of documented it on your website um mm. your you, you you've got a whole blog on lucybarkerwrites.com uh, which anyone can go and go and look at and you can see the various steps from like when you first signed with your agent to edits to signing with the publisher all this that the other yeah if you could go back to the beginning of of this whole experience uh knowing what you know now would you do anything differently no not at all I've yeah. been so lucky. I probably would have savoured it a bit more. I just okay. remember just being really hot and sweaty and a bit like, oh, about it. Um, no, I, I don't know. It, it sounds very arrogant to say, but I I feel like I've been really lucky, mm-hmm. really lucky. Um, and, you know, I think it's really easy, to, though, to look at a debut that comes out and people like it. And it just be seen in, in that bubble. But I know that lots of your guests have talked about this as well, that, you know, I've been doing this for years. Yeah. I have been working my uh, really hard <laughs> 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 on it for years, you yeah. know. Um, it's all I've ever wanted to do, you know. Um, it's all I think about. You know, it, I, I do feel incredibly lucky. It's a proper dream come true. But equally, you know, you put the time in, you persevered. Yeah. And I think, you know, if, resilience is the absolute key to, to writing. It really is, you know, you mm-hmm. just, and resilience, you know, you've got to take the crits. You've got to listen to what people have to say about your writing, because if it's not working for them, it's not going to work for the wider audience either. Yes, exactly. One of the things I heard about critique as well is, um, when you are either reading or, or listening to however, however you're doing it, um, you should never try and defend your book because everything mm. that someone is saying critically about your book, unless they're being facetious for no reason, uh, everything <laughs> someone is saying, <laughs> everything <laughs> someone is saying it like that's their experience and yes. like you trying to defend it doesn't change their experience of, of what it was. And you, what you need to do is figure out why, like if you, if that's not the experience you intended for them to have, you need to think mm. to yourself, mm, I wonder what, why, that was what came out and whether I want to change that or just accept that that is it and maybe change something else. Completely, completely agree. Um, I'm actually more interested in, I mean, obviously I'm grateful for every single review, but I'm finding the ones where there are kind of like, I really enjoyed it. However, um, they're really helpful, really helpful. You know, you put them in your back pocket and you're like, right, I'm going to make sure that this happens or, you know, I, I pay more attention to this. But at the same time, you do have to remember that your n- no book is going to please everyone. No, no. So I think no. it's almost a failure if your book is is sort of pleasing everyone because it will never. It feels difficult mm. for people to love it if everyone likes it. I think the only way you please everyone is if everyone's like, "Yeah, it's pretty good." Yeah, it's not, all right. You know, yeah. Not, yeah, 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 yeah. It's that kind of agree. mediocrity where you're like, you're just above mediocrity. We're like, yeah, it's okay. Inoffensive. <laughs> there, there's a goal oh, to be mediocre. <laughs> to be perfectly mediocre (laughs) (laughs) and you know what the thing is we all find you know we all have different tastes in books what you know what I like may be different to what you like in exactly and um and you're right and I think you know I I found Stacey Hall's an absolute inspiration because I think that she changed she Stacey Hall's and Jessie Burton they changed 
what we perceive to be as historical fiction. Mm-hmm. I think you know they 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 suddenly created these this accessible kind of page turning, and I think you know historical fiction's always had that, but they just feel like they changed it a little bit. Yeah. Speaking of um, people that inspire you, mm. uh, we are towards the end of the episode, which means it's time to ask the final question, which as always is, Lucy, if you were stranded on a desert island with a single book, which book would it be? Um, oh, see, I think, I think I would probably go for The Poisonwood Tree by Barbara Kingsolver. Okay. Um, one, it's really fat, so <laughs> it would give me a lot of time to read. But also, I think it's about survival, and it's about. I think it will also have some tips on how to grow things. Um, but I think the heart of it is so generous and warm and kind. It would feel like a hug every time I picked it up. Yeah. Even though, even though some grim things happen. <laughs> but that's life, right? That's life. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You only appreciate the, the the nice things in life because bad things also happen, I guess. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. So, uh, yeah, so I take that. Okay. Well, that's a great choice. Always good to have something that is heartwarming, but also reminds you that uh, it's not Death is around the corner. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Death's just around the corner, guys. Just and, around the and corner. And on that note. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. No, literally on that note. Yeah, uh, exactly. <laughs> thanks so much for coming on. It's been really fun um, uh, chatting with you and really interesting hearing all about your your writing and your and your journey and and Victorian mediums. Oh, thank you so much for having me. I've absolutely loved it. <laughs> and for anyone uh, wanting to keep up with what Lucy is doing, you can follow her on Twitter at Lucy Small Bark, on Instagram at Lucy Barker Author, or as I mentioned previously, head over to her website, um, LucyBarkerWrites.com, where you can read through her the blog of her kind of whole journey through writing and, and publishing. It's it's uh, it's a really fun and interesting read. To make sure you don't miss an episode of this podcast, follow along on Twitter, Instagram, TikTok, Facebook, and to support the show, head over to the Patreon page. And for more bookish chat, you can check out my other podcast, The Chosen Ones, and other tropes. Thanks again to Lucy, and thanks to everyone listening. We'll catch you on the next episode pulling up to mickey d's just for drinks oh yeah that's me nothing extra just perfection and a straw coming in hot for the coldest cups on the block because there are drinks then there are drinks from mcdonald's mix things up with any size lemonade or sweet tea for a dollar 49 perfect with our classic fries Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.